Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. We are in a study walking through the book of Romans, and I am so excited about this study. I think it's going to be so transformational in our hearts and lives as individual believers, but also in our life as a church. And uh, I, I cannot strongly emphasize to you enough, don't miss any of our studies in the book of Romans. You will not want to miss it. There's so much that this book deals with uh, that is so practical and personal to where we live today. And that's, in fact, what we're reading in verse number 14. I am, this is the Apostle Paul now talking, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. How many of you this morning can say amen to that, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, okay, so the it is is talking about the gospel, okay? So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now verse number 17 is the key to understanding the entire book of Romans. If you want to know the book of Romans, you want to understand the key, you want to have the key to open the door to the entire book, you need to understand verse number 17. We'll tackle verse number 17, Lord willing, in two weeks. But for today, verse number 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Use it in our lives these next few moments, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. There is a kind of obligation that falls on your shoulders and mine that when we see someone in trouble, when we see someone in distress, that we are called into action, that we we must do the right thing. We must spring into action. I remember standing, this has been several years ago now, in the backyard of one of our friend's house. His son had just graduated from high school, graduation. They were throwing a graduation party. They had invited Amanda and I over to the house. So we had gone. We'd taken our kids. Ethan, at that time, was probably four, um, maybe five years old, probably not much older than that. And they had a pool in their backyard. And he says, he says, he says Pastor Dave, if you want, We don't care if the kids bring their swim clothes and they can jump in after the party is over. We said, great. So we kind of hang out for a while, having a nice barbecue. So the the kids get changed. And the adults say to the children, don't get in the pool until everyone is there. So Ethan gets his clothes changed first, comes out of the door. He's running to the pool, flings open the gate, closes the gate behind him, climbs up onto the deck, and then from the top of the deck, he one, two, three, launches himself into the pool. 
I'm standing back in the backyard. We're kind of watching Ethan from afar as he's on top of the deck. I had conducted the service that day for the graduation ceremony. I was the commencement speaker. So I'm wearing a suit, much like what I'm wearing today. And I'm watching Ethan. The pool's about 50 yards away. And I'm watching Ethan on top of the deck. And then he jumps into the pool. Splash, he goes. Standing there for a second, looking in the direction of the pool. And my friend leans over to me and says, does Ethan know how to swim? I don't know. <laughs> he says, well, I don't hear anything. He said, maybe he's just underwater for a really long time. Maybe he's like part fish. He can, he can stay underwater. For, I said, I have no idea. So he goes, let's go. So, man, I start running. I run up the, run up the steps, over the rail. I get to the, the edge of the pool, and I look down into the pool, and there Ethan is at the bottom of the pool like this. His eyes are about the size of, you know, half dollars. I mean, they're just, just looking up, just thinking, help me, blah, 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 blah. help me. Blah, blah. And without hesitation, I just throw myself into the pool, grab Ethan, throw him onto the deck. Man, my friend is going, are you okay? Ethan's coughing, spitting up water. I mean, there are some times, I mean, there are some moments, there are some things that put such a burden of response on you that you cannot help but respond to what's in front of you. And that is the exact thing that the Apostle Paul just said. I am in debt. I have this responsibility. I have this obligation placed on me. This, responsi this responsibility, this obligation has been placed on me because of what I know about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know what the Lord Jesus has done. Because I know how available... The gift of grace provided to us through the Lord Jesus is to all those that would believe. Paul says, I feel this responsibility. I feel this obligation. But in many ways, that's exactly what every parent in the room this morning said. Every parent in the room this morning said, man, we feel a sense of obligation to raise our children in a way that's pleasing and honoring to the Lord. We feel this, this, this responsibility, this, this debt that our son or our daughter would come to know a saving knowledge of Jesus, that they would be raised in a way that's in accordance with God's Word. May we have this sense of responsibility that our children do not belong to us, but that they in fact belong to God. The two ideas. What's, what's true for Paul is true for us. Two ideas. Notice number one. The faithful, faithful to the obligations of the gospel. This is Paul's burden. That he would be faithful to the obligation of the gospel. Paul says, I am debtor. I am a debtor. You know, Paul is not. Paul is not in debt to the people at Rome in the sense that he has borrowed something from them. And now he owes them something back. And Paul's never been to Rome. He hasn't, hasn't taken out a loan. He hasn't borrowed money against them. He doesn't hasn't need to repay them anyway. But Paul is in debt in this sense that Paul has said he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse number 1. And since he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is his master, and that Christ has entrusted Paul with the message of the gospel and Paul says that this message given to him was given to him by God directly. That the gospel does not belong to Paul. The gospel does not belong to you. The gospel does not belong to me. There are no proprietors of the gospel. The gospel belongs to God himself. And God 
gave the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ to Paul, and Paul felt this responsibility that now he must preach that gospel that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul saw himself as a servant to Jesus and because Paul saw Jesus as his master. Verse number one. So Paul is quite literally saying in verse 14, I have a debt to pay. This, the same kind of debt that you would feel when someone is drowning and you feel this debt. You feel this obligation, this responsibility to go and save them, to jump in and pull them out. You see a house on fire, that sense of obligation, responsibility to warn someone or tell them that trouble is ahead. That same sense of indebtedness, that same sense of obligation, that same sense of responsibility is what Paul says he feels to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the, to the, uh, to the Jews, to the Gentiles. He feels that same responsibility. Man, what an incredible picture. What an incredible picture. That all those who are mature in their faith and understanding of the grace that God has shown to us, all those who are mature in their faith have a sense of indebtedness to those who come behind us or to those who do not yet know of the faith. I guess a question really, really strikes here. How can Paul be a debtor if he received grace freely? Remember in Romans chapter or Ephesians chapter number two, verse number eight, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Look here, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how can grace be this free gift from God to which None of us have worked for, none of us have earned, no amount of good deeds could have caused us to receive it. How then can Paul say he is now in debt to it? How do you go into debt for a free gift? Doesn't it change the nature of grace if grace can, if grace can be bought or if grace can be purchased or if grace requires a debt? But what we've said about grace already in this study, our simple understanding of grace here at First Baptist, grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. That you and I do not deserve grace from God, and yet God at the same time is in no way obligated to give us grace. If you have to earn grace or if you have to pay back grace, then it's not grace. You're going to walk up to somebody and say, here, I have a free gift. Would you like it? And you go, wow, thank you for this free gift. Wonderful. Now you owe me $75. How many of you know that is not a free gift, right? If I have to pay you, it's not free. Well, it was free when I gave it to you. Now it costs you to use it. Well, that's not a free gift, right? The same is the same as happening here. So how is grace... If it's undeserved and unobligated and freely given, how then is it that Paul is in debt to grace then? Well, this is the, the, best thing, the, the best thing about grace is grace does not cause debt. Actually, the best thing about grace is that it pays our debt. In Matthew chapter number 6, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Grace, specifically God's grace, forgives you and me the debt that sin incurred. 
God's grace forgives you and me the debt that sin incurred. We were in slavery to sin. Because of our sin, we had this payment that was due for the wages or for the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's grace. That God in his grace paid the debt that our sin deserved. What was that debt? That debt was death. And how did he pay that debt? He paid that debt by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect sinless life, who died an atoning death on the cross, and then he raised gloriously from the grave three days after they put him in the grave, and he beat death, hell, and the grave, and then he offers to all men, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." This is true for anyone. This is available to everyone. It's not, just, it's not just for church people. This is available for anyone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the grace that God is showing to you and to me. It's the same grace that God has shown to Paul. Grace, God's grace, forgives us the debt that we deserve. And grace does not make you a debtor to God. Notice, I am debtor to. Who, who does Paul say he is a debtor to? He does not say, I am a debtor to God. Now look at the verse, verse number 14. Look at it with me. I am debtor to. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Grace does not make you a debtor to God, but grace does make you a debtor to others who need grace just as you needed grace. Grace does not make you a debtor to God. It's a free gift. But grace does make us a debtor to others in our life who need grace and forgiveness and patience and love and all those things just like you and I needed them. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And what I owe them, Paul says, is the gospel of grace of which I have fully and freely received from God himself. It made very little difference to Paul if the man was cultured or if the man was crude. It made very little difference to Paul if the man was an intellectual or if he was an ignoramus. It didn't matter to Paul. What mattered to Paul is that this man, that this obligation he sensed from the free grace that God had given to him, he owed that grace, that knowledge of that grace, to, to all those who had not yet heard or believed. Paul faithfully preached the gospel with just as much passion to a runaway slave like Onesimus, just as he preached the, go the gospel with as much passion to a proud king like Agrippa. It made no difference to Paul. Those who know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ are debtors to all men who have yet to know of that truth. Somebody said it this way, every saved person on this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person on this side of hell. Wherever the Lord sends you, wherever the Lord has placed you, 
Whatever job he's given to you, whatever family environment he's put you in, whatever community or neighborhood, whatever, whatever friends he's allowed you to have, he's given you the responsibility. You are under obligation to speak to those people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, then, a word to the moms and dads. But God has entrusted these boys and girls to you and to me. And we have a sense of obligation, a, a, a sense of responsibility and indebtedness to teach them, to speak to them about him and about his great love for us. But know this, just a word of warning. You must understand what you can control, and you must understand what you cannot control. It is a fool who thinks he can control the heart of someone else. We have no such control. You and I cannot change the heart of anyone, and thank God we can't change it. But what you and I can do is we can encourage and exhort and teach and, and, and embrace and love and be patient with those that God has placed in our lives so that grace and faith might grow up in them. We are not in charge of controlling the hearts of our children. But let me tell you something. We are in charge of maintaining our own individual hearts. Do, do not neglect the responsibility that God has given to you. That with your heart, you would go strong after God. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do not neglect that responsibility for pursuing some other responsibility of controlling what someone else does or doesn't do when that is not your responsibility to do. Our children, your children, my children ultimately belong to the Lord. And God loves them more than you and I love them. God cares for them more than you and I care for them. And in the end, we are all free, individual, moral agents. And each person in this room must give an account of themselves individually to God Almighty. But as we've said in the past, and we'll say again, parents, authorities, pastors, teachers, leaders, by our faithfulness or our unfaithfulness, we can make it easier or harder for our children to pursue the Lord. Look here. By our faithfulness or unfaithfulness, we can make it easier or harder for our children to pursue the Lord. And what Amanda and I strive to do in our family, what I hope is true for you in your family, your friends, your relationships, that you are faithfully living for the Lord so that your friends may see you, so that your family may see you, so that your neighbors may see you and glorify God because of your good works. That they would look at you and go, wow, there's something about him. There's something about her. And I want to know what it is. And what you and I know is we know what it is. It's it's not us. It's God's good work in our hearts because of his grace. Paul says, I want to be faithful with the obligation of the gospel. Number two, last one, only two points. Number two, Paul wants to be fervent for the opportunities of the gospel. That's really verse number, six, verse number 15. So, so, I feel this sense of debt, this, this obligation. Grace has made me a debtor, not to God, but grace has made me a debtor to those who do not know God. And because I feel this, so, as much as in me is, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. We see two things from Paul's life in this verse that I think are lacking in today's world. Two things. First, Paul made himself available. So much as in me is. In other words, as much as I can muster, as much as I have in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. There's this eager spirit from Paul. I, I'm ready to do this. In Acts chapter number 20, verse number 22, he says, I go to Jerusalem bound in the spirit. This is the same idea as being eager or being ready here in verse number 16. He's, it's as if somebody tied him up and was dragging him to Jerusalem so that he would preach there in Jerusalem. And Paul is saying the same thing in this sense. He's saying, I'm eager, I'm ready. I, there's, this, there's this compulsion, there's this desire for me to preach the gospel to you. It's, it's like a racehorse being put into the gate. And he bangs his head on the steel on this side. And he bangs his head that way. And he's, he's just waiting, snorting and huffing, waiting for that horn to sound, the gates to open so that racehorse can take off. Off. That's the same idea from Paul here. It's like the sprinter who puts his feet in the blocks and his hands down onto the track, and he's ready, he's eager as the man raises his hand with the gun, and then he signals the start of the race, and off from the blocks he goes. Same idea. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you there. And Paul says, I, there's, there's nothing holding me back from this. I, I want to do this. This is a good indication here that Paul's uh, priority in his life was not self-preservation. Paul's great priority was not self-preservation. Paul's priority was that those who had not heard the gospel could hear and receive and know the gospel. And with this, Paul, Paul is in a pursuit not of self-preservation, but Paul is in a pursuit of holiness. This is the key to leading our families for Christ. A Christian husband, a Christian father, a Christian mom, a Christian grandmother. You cannot lead someone where you have not been. And Paul admonishes Timothy the same way. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine, and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. If holiness is found lacking in our own heart, in our own life, then it is more than likely going to be lacking in the lives of the people who follow us. If holiness doesn't abound in our own hearts, if righteousness isn't abounding in our own life, if pursuing Christ and going after him and living for him, if that isn't taking place in us as parents, then why should we assume that it's going to happen in our children? If that isn't happening in my heart, why should it happen in my friend's heart? This is what I want to push against because, hear me, hear me, by all means... Your responsibility in your home is to bring home the bacon. Make as much money as you can and provide a nice house and good clothes and a fancy car and all kinds of toys and gadgets. But don't stop there. Your responsibility in providing for your family or providing for your children or providing for those that you love, your responsibility does not end at material things. 
We are not just material beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. So your responsibility of providing does not end if you just bring home the bacon. It also means that you open up the Bible and have devotions too. It also means that you lead out when it comes to prayer. It also means that you lead out when it comes to scriptures. It also means that you lead out when it comes to family worship. It means, it means that you lead out in joyfully taking your family to church every week. Way go, Pastor. You get it. Thank you. Providing for your family does not end at bringing home money or material possessions. That's just part of the job. It's certainly true you have to provide for your family as it relates to their material needs. But you must not neglect leading for your family and providing for them as their spiritual needs dictate as well. Well, pastor, I can't make it to church today. We just need some family time. I don't know anything better to do with your time as a family than be in church. There's no greater way for your family to grow closer together than your family to sit in church listening to God's Word and growing and learning together. It's a very, very hard thing to accept. But Paul has one value in this life. He is consumed by this singular thing. It's not self-preservation. It's not material benefit only. But Paul has made himself available. God, I want to lead in this way, in all ways. Hey, listen, there's plenty of good people in this world. This is, a, this is such a burden on my heart and life as my kids get older. As my kids get older, man, I, I don't want them to find a good wife or a good husband. I want them to find a godly one, and there's a difference. How many of you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want them to find a good guy. I don't, want her, I don't want Elena to find a good guy. I want her to find a godly guy. Because good guys, I mean, they're, they're rare, but they're out there. And godly guys, and those, those are hard to find but who will love her well and meet her needs and care for her materially and care for her physically, but also care for her spiritually, who'll see that her soul flourishes like the beautiful flower that it is, who'll be careful to listen to the tone of her voice. Not a guy who's just got some money in the bank and a nice car and got some bulging biceps. The money gets spent really fast, and the biceps become flab very quickly. But a man who's godly in spirit, man, he grows stronger and stronger as his years go on. May the goal for our kids not be to find someone good. May the goal for our kids be to find someone who is godly who pursues and goes after the Lord, who lives pure and clean and right, who loves the Lord and surrendered to the Lord. Oh, may that be the goal. So, Pastor, you're really wound up this morning. This is just a preview for family worship nights. And we're going to have a time. He's available. Number two, he's dependable. Second one, he's dependable. I am ready to preach the gospel. Look at it. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. 
Now, that is an amazing statement, and here's why. Because Rome is the toughest place in the known world. She liked it. Paul declares he's eager to go to Rome where idolatry abounds, where immorality consists, where there's incestuous relationships. Literally the worst place in the world, Rome. The toughest place to preach the gospel, Rome. And Paul says, yet no matter how dark it is, that is where I desire to go. Why does Paul want to go to Rome, the toughest, darkest, most difficult place to preach the gospel? Quite literally, where they hang Christians on poles to light Nero's garden. Why preach the, why preach the gospel at Rome? Because Paul's own conversion is a prime example that those who are farthest and hardest to reach, the gospel can reach them. It is the power of God unto salvation. Paul knows this to be more true than anyone because before he was Paul the apostle, he was Saul of Tarshish. Paul understands that if he can be brought to faith in Christ, then hear me, anyone can be brought to faith in Christ. And here's, 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 here it is, here it is, we're done. Watch, here's the question. So what is your Rome? What is, what is that place that you find it hardest to preach and teach and lead in ways that are good and godly? What is your Rome? What's that place that you find it difficult to speak up for Christ? What is your Rome? What is your Rome? Where, where is that environment that you feel it, man, it's difficult to, to speak out or, or kick back or say, I, 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 don't, I don't agree with those kind of cultural or social things. I don't, I don't, think, those are things, I don't think those things are right. Not, not because of me, because of God's word. But what is, your, what is your Rome? And are you, like Paul, saying, I am ready to preach the gospel there, and I am available to stand up for the gospel there, and I am dependable to speak the truth of God there? Who, who and where, what is your Rome? Perhaps for you, it's your house, it's your home. Sometimes we can find it difficult to talk to our wives, our kids, our children about the gospel. Perhaps for you it's your place of work. Perhaps for you it's your set of friends that you hang out with. Perhaps for you it's a family member or a, a, a farther away relationship. What is your Rome? Who, who is that person in your life that you need to talk to them about Jesus? We're going to do something in church you've never done before. Are you ready? This is it. We're done. I want everybody to get their phone out right now. Some of you are like, it's been out. Everybody get your phone out. Get your phone out. And I want you to send a, I want you to send a message, just a text message, to someone in your life that you know you need to talk to them about the gospel. And it can, it can sound like this. This is, this, this is what you should do. So just a little text, just like this. Ready? She's like, I'm sitting in church this morning, and the Lord brought you to my mind. And I would love for you to sit in church with me sometime. 
Just start the conversation. Start the conversation. Don't act like texting in church isn't what you normally do. I, I see you now, right? There's a little blue glow on your face when you got that phone out. I can see that, okay? Just shoot him a text message right now. And just watch where that conversation goes. Invite him to church. We start tonight, family worship nights. Man, we'll spend some time talking about how we as a church family, but also as us as individual families, should be leading and guiding our families. And what we should desire to be true of you. Listen, decide now. You're, go, you're going to be faithful to, to church, in particular, family worship nights. Decide now. It, it starts tonight and goes to Wednesday night. Tonight at 5 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 7 o'clock. I believe these next three nights for our church family will be the most instrumental nights coming into 2019. I can't think of three more important services, three more important conversations we'll have around God's Word than these ones that we'll start with tonight. And you should be here for that. And you should have a friend with you while you're here. So you can have a conversation about the gospel. So you can see the gospel come to power, flex God, flex His muscles through the gospel in their heart and in their life. Oh, that God would use you that way. Oh, that God would use me that way. Oh, that God would use us that way. Who is that person for you? Who is that person for me? Hey, here's the question. Who is your Rome? Where is your Rome? Where is that area? Where is that place? Who is that person that you find it so difficult to speak up for God when you're there? Oh, like Paul, we would say so I am ready to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome also.